Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and uh, what a joy it is to preach the good news to you. May God bless your ears and heart that you have the hope and peace that we have in Jesus Christ and that the Lord changes your view of the world, that you see things as he does with the love of his son, Jesus. If you want to support his mission here at St. James through Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org and donate. Thank you for listening. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Please grab a pew. It's kind of a cheesy story. You probably heard it before, but it just still kind of makes you kind of cry when you think about this. So there's a couple of stories like this, but for sure, there's this one fellow uh, who had a service dog in the army. He was in World War II, and they were tights, the two of them, and they had been through so much, and the war ends, and, and uh, like some service members, they get to take the dog home, and so he did, and uh, that dog was faithful and finally this man dies and they bury him and uh, his kids go and look for his dog um, and could not find it nowhere in the house must have ran away and they go to the guy's uh, tombstone to the graveyard and there is the dog sitting right there at the tombstone always faithful and that's dogs isn't it always there. I'm not going to say that this guy treated him perfectly, probably not like all of us, We're not the best masters, and yet dogs are kind of cool because they uh, are faithful to you, right? When nobody else is, maybe. And they'll listen to you. I can go on and on, right? About how dogs are better than human beings. Anyhow, and it is cool, and it's beautiful, and it really is almost miraculous um, how dogs do this. But you know, ultimately, it really is how we are called to live as human beings. It really is. Not, not like dumb-like dogs in that way, but the sense of faithfulness and loyalty and commitment to one another. It is the foundation to society. It's the foundation to marriage, public commitment, greater than love, because I think love flows from and grows from commitment following through etc. We all need this. You need to have a healthy marriage. You need it to have a healthy life, to have people that are just that committed to you. They're always there for you. But when it comes to us, we don't always want to be there for, for others, right? It's so important. And today's lesson we see is we've been going through all these, these characters of, of the Bible, these real people. We've got Ruth, who just exemplifies this. You know, I use the word commitment. Forget that word. It's far greater than that. I like to raise you above, myself too, above simply obligation and commitment and to love, the kind of love we see here with Ruth. You know, when we look at all these characters, they all have the same thing in common. As we read the story of Ruth and go through this, it's always the same thing. If you haven't, I hope you've seen this. They come from nothing and nowhere. God always begins from nothing and nowhere and makes something awesome out of it. And Ruth is 
another example. Let's look at it. Uh, it was right before 1 Samuel. Uh, and I'll just read it here. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So we talked about David last week. This is before David, okay? So Moses brings the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, act of God, freedom, and brings them to their own land. Well, when they came there, God ruled them through the tabernacle that he set up, that went wherever they went. So God was their king, in a sense, and he ruled through various judges. And they acted as judges, as in, in fact, back then, like in general, and maybe in a sense now, we were, so we're used to the three uh, offices, you know, the uh, three, uh, what's the official, the, three, the president, the executive, judicial, legislative, right? Well, a king would be like all things in some sense, right? So it'd be judge. So they call him a judge, but overall, they'd be a leader. And they'd be one who listened to the Lord. So they themselves were underneath God. Anyhow, that happened for a couple hundred years. And then Samuel was born. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And he uh, is the last judge. And he anoints David as king. But this is the time before David. So they're in Israel. Everybody knows about Moses, how awesome God is, and brought them there. And apparently there's a famine in the land, um, which is not unusual. We understand and should understand famines. Uh, and this happens a lot, by, by the way, if you're re reading the Bible. There's a famine, and then people have to move to where there's food. So there's a famine in the land, and this fella who is from, notice where he's from, he's a man of Bethlehem in Judah. Do you recognize that name? He's from Bethlehem. This is not insignificant or coincidence. So he's from Bethlehem, and uh, he has a wife and two sons, and he, they go to Moab, which is across, it's not my favorite state, Utah, Moab, because I don't think that's where you should go to find food, by the way, uh, that, part, that part of Utah. But Moab, actually, originally is right next to Israel. You cross the Jordan River, and you come into Moab. So you go over there. It's a foreign country for them. They speak a different language, but that's where the food is. And he brings his wife. His wife's name is Naomi. I love that name. Both these names, Ruth and Naomi. So Naomi's there, and uh, what happens her husband dies, and she's left with two sons. Now, you'll see, again, have you noticed a theme here in the Bible? Everywhere, Old Testament, New Testament, God loves widows, orphans, the poor, the nobody, the weak. The joke is, you're that, the barren. Here is this widow. And people oftentimes are like, boy, back then, really tough to be a widow because now you don't have your man who is your connection to your community also has the money, the breadwinner, the maker. Yeah, kind of. I mean, that's kind of true. The welfare system was family back then. And it was a successful welfare system or should have been. God oftentimes got mad at the people of Israel because they were not being the welfare system they're supposed to be taking care of the widows and orphans. But I think that we can relate. It's not like, oh, back then it'd be tough to be a widow. It's tough to be a widow now, right? <laughs> just to deal with death, the loss of someone you love, but also just the, the social stability. You don't have your husband and vice versa. It's not good today. 
You can relate to Naomi. And she's got two sons. They get married. Wow, cool. Connection. Because also this, she's a foreigner in Moab. So it makes sense. Her husband's gone, and now she doesn't have, the connections are gone. And she's in a foreign country. But she has two sons, and they get wives from Moab. And that probably gives her that connection to the Moabites, etc. And then what happens? Her sons die. And now it's three widows. Oh my goodness, what's God going to do? Man, if God loves one widow and does great things, we have three widows now. Something awesome is about to happen. So three widows. This is terrible. They're in a foreign country, especially for Naomi. You want to get married, and today you would want to get remarried. It would stink. You can relate. Nothing's changed for the last two, three, four thousand years of human society. We've improved a little. We have iPhones now. Last year, I think we realized, holy cow, we're just as close to craziness as they were 2,000 years ago. How alone Naomi must have felt in a place that's not her own, without a husband anymore, now without sons. You know how that feels? I bet you do. Be somewhere you don't feel comfortable. When we moved here four, or three years ago, it'll be three years ago in, in October, it's strange. It's, it's not a good feeling to not really know anyone. You pray that you'll get through that, but they're in another language, they're in another culture. And this last year, too, I think a lot of people experienced that loneliness when things kind of broke down with the pandemic, with the political upheaval and the chaos, and people separated. And we live in a city packed full of people, but I believe there's far more lonely people in this packed city than there is in small towns with just 100 people. Are you like that? Can you relate to Naomi feeling strange? And I think there's all kinds of reasons why people feel strange and alone and a foreigner. And it might be their own sins that separate them. They can't show their face or their own feelings and they just feel weird and they are uncomfortable with their own skin. These are real people. More loneliness in America than there's ever been despite all the possibilities we have to erase that. All the social media said it. We're just more and more lonely. Because we're no different than we were back then. Sin and death cause separation and dysfunction and weirdness and foreignness and loneliness. So here is Naomi. Everything bad that could happen has happened. And she looks at her daughters. And she says, turn back my daughters. Remember, they're from Moab. Why will you go with me? Because she decides to go back to her country. She knows how things work there. And she's got family there. So she will find help there. Her family's there. That was the welfare system back then. And they kiss and, and they lifted up their voices and they wept. And they said to her, no, we're going to return with you to your people. So both of them, two daughters, Orpah, not Oprah, by the way or Okra, Orpah, and Naomi, and Ruth. So they both say, we're never going to leave you. 
You know how those exchanges are, by the way, when someone gives you something and you have the little, like a dinner, you have a fake exchange. I'll pay for it. No, I'll pay for it. I'll pay And you're hoping that, you know, that person's going to say, I'll take care of it. And you finally relinquish. Sometimes you get stuck with the bill. Anyhow, they're doing that, right? No, we're going to go with you, right? So they go through that pattern. Uh, and then she says, listen, why will you go with me? I've got nothing for you. I'm not going to help you. I'm just a burden to you. I don't have any sons right now for you to marry. And if I did, even she said, right now, it would be how many years? Are you going to wait that long? No, go back to your life. This is what she's saying. That's your connections. I'm going to go back to my family. You stay here. Orpa kisses her and leaves. And it's okay, by the way. She's not bad. She's fine to do that. Naomi has released her officially, lovingly. We're good. It's okay. And she goes, and she does. And it's, again, I want you to really see this. It's okay for her to go. What would you have done? Really? And then Ruth doesn't go. She clings to Naomi. She could have gone and still be righteous and a good person. It's not like, Naomi's not in the middle of nowhere. She's got a plan. Naomi says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. Remember that word, the her people, and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Go back where it's comfortable. That's good for you. But Ruth said this, listen to this. Now remember, this all begins with a man from Bethlehem. Ruth says these words that some men from Bethlehem say, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I'm going to go. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Ruth goes beyond commitment. She could have left and that would have been fine. But she lays down, I want you to see this, she lays down her life for Naomi. She makes Naomi's life more important than hers, not equal. Jesus talks about love and he says, the Greeks, if you love your friends or you love people who love you back, that's easy. That's not the kind of love Jesus is talking about. It's fine, by the way, but that's normal. That's expected. But the Christ's love, godly love, is not equality or transaction or we're both equally are in this together, but it is 100% to you. It is laying down your life for someone else. It is losing yourself for someone else. That is love. We usually use this passage oftentimes for marriage ceremonies. I think it's a great passage, by the way, for a wedding. 
Because again, the foundation of a good relationship, that's why you get married before you go further or more intimate in your relationship. Not because God said so, or a piece of paper does something. It's because you should publicly commit to someone that you're never going to leave them before you start getting deeper into a relationship and waste your time. And when you have that commitment, I will never leave you, not if you do this or that for me, by the way, as a wedding vow. No, it's not. I will love you if, as long as, no. I am publicly telling everyone that's all a marriage is, is all it is. That's why it doesn't have to be in church or by pastor. I will never leave you. You know what the changes in your brain when it comes to peace and security in your relationship? It frees you to not be afraid to, to tell that person more, to invest in money, things, time, have kids, to go to work and have that sense of commitment that that person is crazy in love with you, not emotionally, which is nice, but will do you well will serve you, will I love saying this to couples too. The vow is not, I'm not going to leave you for another girl. That's not, the, that's not sexy. That's not a romantic vow. The vow is, I'm going to make your life better, is what a marriage vow is. I'm going to nourish you. It's proactive. Not, hey, boy, he really likes me. He said he's never going to leave me. I, no, that sounds clingy even, actually. No, the vow is, I'm going to lay down my life to you in little ways and big ways. That is good for your brain. That's good for your society. And Ruth is doing that. And again, this is not just for weddings, my friends. The love we're called to, even 1 Corinthians, that cheesy 1 Corinthians 13 verse, is for everybody to lay down, not to seek equality. That's important. Equality is good for the government. It's fantastic, by the way. I love it. I love our Constitution, etc., and it's and it's virtue. But that's not actually the church. The church isn't interested in equality, but something far better. That is absolute service to one another. That is actually seeing other people as greater than you. Actually wanting their life to go better than yours. Actually living a life of how can I make you happier? That's love. That is service. That's what Ruth does here. And that's what we need from one another in a marriage or in friendships or in a society. Ours is breaking down society. But we fail at it, don't we? Who here can say you would do this for your mother-in-law? Unless she's sitting next to you right now. We fail at this. Even in our own marriages where we're in love with the person, we live 50-50, we live transactional, and, and we don't live with our eyes always open as to how can I make your life better. Even in our virtue sibling world that, that we talk a lot about love, we talk a lot about everybody and caring for people, and that really is good. At the same time, it just seems like we're even doing that just to serve ourselves, to look good, 
our own interests to get what we want. We leave marriages because it's not serving us. We tell our, our, our kids, you know, I hope you find someone that makes you happy. And to some degree, I get that, but that's really not the ultimate thing in life. Looking for people that make you happy? What is that? May we love like Ruth did. Those right in front of us in our homes, quite frankly, we're good at loving people across the globe. We're terrible at loving people right in our face, right in our house, <laughs> our kid, our spouse, our neighbor. Repent. Let's do better. But this story of Ruth is not a nice story with a moral at the end. You should love people like Ruth. This story is not about Ruth ultimately. It's about God's love and his commitment. Ruth goes with Naomi. She goes into Israel and Naomi indeed finds her family and things are going well. Ruth gets married to this fellow Boaz who wonderfully loves her in the same way. And, and actually, everybody hears about how awesome Ruth is and how she was right there. And remember, Ruth's a Moabite. She's not an Israelite. She's not one of them. But they welcome her in as she loves them and serves them. And Boaz marries her. And she, remember what happens to widows and barren women and people have nothing. Ruth has a son. And that son has a son, and that son's name is David. And then David has a son, and another son, and another son, and another grandson. And then in the town of Bethlehem, not a widow, not a barren, but a virgin, gives birth to a son, but indeed to a barren world, a lonely world, a world in a famine of good deeds and righteousness and love and full of death. And this son, a foreigner, if there ever was one, the righteous son of God, doesn't stay up there aloof in his white tower and just keeps on telling us what to do and how to be better. But instead, because you know what? He's a son of Ruth, does what Ruth does and vows to the other, to humanity, to you and to me, that he will never leave us, that he will go where we go, even in a manger full of cow dung, even a leprous colony, even a tax collector's house, even a prostitute's company, even a woman at the well, the whole story is about God loving women. That's what the Bible is all about, and heroic women. I will go where you go. I will stay where you stay. He proves it. And I will die where you die, where you belong, on a cross where you should be punished for all the ways you are not committed and how you've broken promises and how you have walked by the hurting, I'm going to take that punishment instead. I'm going to die where you should be dying on the cross so that you may be free and you can be where I am and I'll be buried where you're buried. 
and they buried him in under the tomb in Gethsemane. And Christ took all of our shame and all of your guilt because he is far more committed and far more loving and far more faithful than we ever will be, even more than Ruth, to you, to sinners, crazy, crazy, crazy love. And he sacrificed it all for you and picked it up again on the third day so that you may have more than he has, so you don't have to be in the cross and you don't have to be in the grave, so that you can be forgiven, so that you are welcomed back to a family of your own like Ruth was, and you brought into his family, God's family, and you can have rest, and you can have joy, and you can have hope, because your sins are forgiven, you're going to rise again, and God is your God. In Jesus' name, amen.